Take your Bibles this morning and turn to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our God is the ancient of days. We talk a lot around here about taking our next spiritual steps. We want to progress in our Christian lives, and we want to make sure that we are intentionally growing in Christ, growing in His grace, growing in His love, growing in His mercy, growing in His person, growing in His word, allowing the Spirit to take His word and apply it to our hearts for the honor and glory of our God. John writes to some dear, dear people. In fact, he calls them little children. 17 times in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, John uses that phrase. And John encourages these folks in their Christian walk. You know, your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. And so to say it is one thing, to live it is something else. And John is going to give to us Five steps that you and I can take, intentionally take, in our Christian lives. Let me give you an outline very quickly for 1 John. 1 John chapter 1 tells us that we are to walk in the truth. And that is an intentional walk in God's word, recognizing that it is indeed a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. 1 John chapter 2 tells us that we are to not walk according to the world. In fact, it says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the the world, the the love of the Father is not in him. 1 John chapter 3 reminds us that we are to walk in love, especially toward God's people, according to the believers, to, to the saints of God. Chapter 4 tells us that not only are we to walk in love according to the saints, we're also to walk in love as we love God. Loving with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, with all of our minds. And 1 John chapter 5 tells us that we are to walk in knowledge. You and I have been exposed to the truth. We know what the Word of God says. And we are to walk according to that truth as we know it to be the truth. So as you read through 1 John, and I trust that you will, try to identify these five steps that we all need to take as we share together. I have a question for you. In your life, what gives you the most joy? What gives you the most satisfaction? What gives you the, the most encouragement What floats your boat? What fills your sails? What allows you to to be effective in, in, in life? Let me change it just a bit. Those of you who have kids or or grandkids, what excites you most about what you see in their lives? What gives you satisfaction as you recognize them maturing and growing in their lives? What do you want to see developed in their lives so that they can be a success and so that they can live out their lives in a a productive way? Well, John identifies what gives him the most satisfaction. 
And in 2 John chapter 1, there's only one chapter, verse 4, we read this. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth. In 3 John, again chapter 1, only one chapter, verse 4, we read this. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. The greatest satisfaction that you and I can have in our lives is to be walking in the truth. The greatest encouragement we can have with our kids, with our grandkids, is to see them walk in the truth. This morning, we want to learn what it's all about to walk in the truth. And I'm going to ask Dave Eubank to come to the platform, please, and read for us 1 John chapter 1. You follow along in your copy of the scriptures as Dave shares with us, please. First John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and have heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar." and his word is not in us. May God bless the reading of his word as we take it and apply it to our hearts and live it out through our lives for his honor and for his in glory. Our text this morning is the first four verses of chapter 1. And we want to identify what the truth really is. You know, Jesus says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And Jesus said, set them apart by your word. Why? Because your word is truth. If you and I are going to walk in the truth, we need to be able to identify the truth and understand the principles that God has given to us to recognize truth when we see it. You know, we live in a world that truth is anything you want it to be. We live in a world where truth needs to be culturally correct. We live in a world that values people's feelings more than the truth. And our culture has changed words that you and I understand as as just simple words 
into something they were never meant to be. University of Michigan, as they have gathered words and phrases that are offensive to some of their students, have outlined some, outlawed some words. This year, I understand, they've outlawed, outlawed the word picnic. They've also outlawed the word brown bag. Now, you may want to go to their website and find out why they have outlawed those phrases and words. But you know, it, it's, it's interesting what we have done with, with words. The 2020 Oxford Dictionary gives to us some, some new words. Sharent. That's a new word. You know what that means? That has to do with, with parents that are always taking pictures of their kids and posting it on public media. We all are aware of helicopter parents, right? That kind of hover over their kids. But a, a sharent is somebody who wants to publicize their kids to the world. Awesome sauce. Have you heard that word? If something really great takes place in your life or something you really enjoy, you can call it awesome sauce. Those chicken wings were awesome sauce. Connie's hug was awesome sauce. Thank you, babe. The word goat. Now, the word goat in the New Oxford Dictionary is an acronym that, st that stands for greatest of all time. And many times it identifies an athlete or it may identify an automobile or some other revolutionary thing that is the greatest of all time. It's the goat. Uh, by the way, if you don't want somebody to get your goat, don't tell them where it's tied up. New to the 2020 Oxford Dictionary, and I think this is appropriate, is the word Zoom. Now, when I was a kid growing up, Zoom meant a fast car. My car goes Zoom. And now, it's a virtual meeting that takes place. And I don't know about you, but I've gotten tired of Zoom. I've had too many of those. Nothing burger. Have you ever been involved with a nothing burger? Has the ideal of identifying something that's irrelevant. Has no meaning. I know a lot of people that know a lot of things, and I know a lot of people that know a lot of things about nothing. They know a lot of nothing burger. And I like this last one, man hug. That's new to the Oxford Dictionary. Have you ever noticed how men hug? Every time a man hugs, he pats the other guy's back three times. Notice that. And then sometimes after that's done, he'll reach out and have a fist bump or a handshake. But we've tried to identify all these kinds of things, whether or not they're accurate, whether or not they, they really convey a message, and we lose something in the translation, don't we? And we wonder whether or not it's really true. 
This morning I want to give you five ways that you can identify truth. What to look for when you are trying to determine or ascertain the truth. Now, John begins his epistle differently than is usual in the New Testament. Usually, the author is identified and the audience is identified. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the believers at Philippi. James, to the 12 tribes scattered. Peter, to the pilgrims. And even John, as he wrote Revelation, he wrote Jesus Christ. Because it's the revelation of Jesus Christ, not the revelation of John. Jesus Christ, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. The one who was, who is, and who is to come. And as you read 2nd and 3rd John, John identifies himself as an elder. And his audience are specific individuals. But here in 1st John, he begins differently because he begins with the truth. And he starts this way. That which was from the beginning. Now, stop right there. Because as we are trying to identify truth, we must recognize that truth can be trusted because it is tested and tried. Truth is always truth. The Bible begins with truth. In the beginning, God. John identifies Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And as you and I are trying to understand truth and trying to live out truth, we must recognize that truth does not change. Once it's established, it is there forever. John in 1 John chapter 3 will write to us, this is the message concerning the gospel, which you've heard from the beginning. Why? Because it is Truth. Truth can be trusted because it's tried and it's tested. Leonardo da Vinci established the truth of gravity. And you and I know that it is true. It's always true. Some time ago, someone brought me a church bulletin. And I'm always thankful to to receive church bulletins because, one, it tells me that while they were away, they were in church. That's a good thing. And this church bulletin is from Emmanuel Baptist Church, Naperville, Illinois, and it was given to me on Sunday, from Sunday, October 21st, 2018. Now, if you'll remember the old stock bulletins that you used to be able to buy from Zondervan or from... from, um, Lifeway, you'll remember that on the back of those stock bulletins, there was usually something that took up space. That way the church secretary only had to worry about printing on the inside. Now, most of our churches have gotten so busy that our church secretaries now need that back page. And we no longer use stock bulletins because we print our own. And our own church logo and mission statement many times are on the front. But it's interesting for for me to read the back page of this bulletin. And God gave it to me. It's a poem written by David Vanderpool. 
And it's entitled, Truth is Not Negotiable. Let me read it to you. It's so easy in this day where compromise abounds to redefine the truth until we like the way it sounds. But truth is not negotiable. No, not at any cost. For when we start to alter it, to us the truth gets lost. It may seem insignificant to change in some small things, but when the truth is sacrificed, great consequence it brings. God's word is built on principles, not preferences of men. They must apply to all of life, and not just now and then. If we are to be the church and be a light that shines, truth must dictate how we live, and not our own designs. You see, truth is not negotiable. No, not at any cost. For when we start to alter it, to us, the truth gets lost. John begins his epistle by saying, in the beginning, we are establishing a connection point. And that connection is with truth. Because truth can be trusted since it is tried and tested. You know the difference between science and theory? Science can be tested. It is repeatable. It is observable. A theory can be anything anybody wants to think about anything. So walk in the truth and identify it as something that is tried and tested. Not only is the truth tried and tested, but it's also reliable and verifiable. Notice the rest of verse 1 in 1 John chapter 1. Which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Truth is reliable, it's verifiable. Now, in English, we have three tenses, past, present, and future. In the Greek, in the imperative mood, and there are two different moods, there are 12 different tenses that identify specifically what the writer is trying to say. And here John uses the perfect tense. And it indicates a past occurrence that has present impact. It's something that has been experienced in the past that now makes a difference in our lives. And he helps us recognize that the tr truth begins with that which we have heard. We came to an understanding. We recognized it. It became real to us. And that's a past occurrence that presently impacts our lives. Do you remember the first time you heard the truth? You remember the first time you were exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ? You remember the first time that you recognized that we're all sinners? And it's not how bad we are, it's how good we're not. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You remember the first time that you understood that 
Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures? Do you remember the first time you, you heard the wonder that if we will believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we'll be saved? That's truth. And it begins with our hearing that message. But not only does it begin with hearing that message, it continues because John says, that which we have heard, that which we have seen, observed, recognized, taken place, that too is in the perfect tense. A past action that has present implications. Seeing is believing. You might hear about something, but seeing is believing. Before Friday night, did anyone hear that Ohio State would beat Clemson? You didn't hear it much. Those of you who watched the game, do you believe it now? You wondered how I was going to work that in today, didn't you? That which you have heard with your ears, that which you have seen with your eyes. And he goes on to say, that which you have looked upon, studied, spent some time with, developed an understanding, taken the opportunity to observe that it makes a difference in somebody's life. Let me tell you something. If the gospel doesn't make a difference in your life, it's of no value to you. And if you and I cannot live out the gospel, allowing others to look at our lives and recognize our commitment to Jesus Christ and the glory of God and living out the word of God, it's of no value. And John says, you identify truth by hearing it, by seeing it, and then studying it. You know, you get more out of studying than you do out of presenting. I hope this morning that the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and applies it to your hearts. But I need to tell you, I've gotten more out of this message than you ever will. I've spent time. I've allowed God to work in my life and to develop in me truth that I believe He wants me to present to you. And any teacher any presenter will tell you the same thing. You get more out of studying it than you do presenting it. You know why? Because when you study it, your hands handle it. Now, I don't know what's going on in your head this morning. I don't even know if you're with me this morning. Some of you are in a far, far distant place. But once you come in contact with truth, the word of God, and your hands handle it, you can't get enough of it. And John is reminding us that if we are to walk in truth, we must take it from our head to our hearts to our lives. That's what I said after Dave wrote, read. May God bless the reading of his word as we take it and apply it to our hearts and live it out through our lives for the honor and glory of our God. That's not just a trite saying. 
Those are not just words that I needed to use to fill some time. That's truth. Because truth is reliable. It's verifiable. Because we've seen it. We've heard it. We've seen it. We've studied it. And now our hands handle it. And it becomes real. It becomes real in our lives. You know, we're all blind. And the word picture that John is giving to us here is a blind man who finally discovers the reality of sight. And it changes his life. Heard, seen, studied, looked upon, handled the wonder of God's work in our lives. That's how we identify truth. It's amazing to me to see truth worked out in people's lives. To see them discover the wonder of God's work of sanctification in challenging them and changing them and conforming them to Christ. It may be illustrated in the disciples' lives. You know, they they spent time with Jesus. They heard him preach, right? They saw the works that he did, right? They walked with him and observed him listened to his interaction, and perhaps studied their life. But a crisis came. Now, it should not have been an unexpected crisis. Because three times Jesus has said, someday I'm going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to arrest me. They're going to put me on trial, and they're going to crucify me, but I'm going to come to life again. But do you recall what happened that first night? The disciples gathered in an upper room. Why? For fear of the Jews. And as they were gathered together, Jesus appeared in the midst of them. Now, there were ten of them at that point. Judas wasn't there and Thomas wasn't there. And what did Jesus say? Peace be with you. Look at me. Do you remember what happened over the next eight days? The boys went and said, hey, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. Thomas, it's real. He is risen like he said. Hey, Thomas, this is great news. And we call him Doubting Thomas, don't we? Because he said, unless I experience it. I'm not going to believe it. And then Jesus appeared to him. And you remember what, Tom, what Jesus said to Thomas? He said, look. Handle it. Touch me. Believe the truth. And Thomas's declaration was, my Lord and my God. And that changed his life. You may be here this morning struggling with truth. 
wondering whether or not the gospel message, the good news, is real or not. You've heard it. You've seen some of it. Maybe even you've studied it a bit, wondered about it in your minds. Until you trust it and experience it. And that's okay. It'll never make a difference. But truth also is to be used, to be shared. Verse 2. This life was manifest, and we've seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Now, there's two words in there that I want you to identify. The first word is testify. We testify to this truth. We give evidence. We bear record We understand the reality of it in our lives. You've heard me ask the question before. If you were put on trial, if I was put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict me? Do I testify, do I provide enough evidence with my life that I am living according to truth? You know, you can make a lot of withdrawals pretty quickly from your life. But the only deposit you'll make is living according to the truth. But not only testify, the other word is proclaim. In the Greek, it's evangel. Presenting good news. As an evangelist, shares the truth of the wonder of the gospel. You see, testify is what we do in this world. Proclaim is what we say in this world. We started this morning with this little phrase. Your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. And so we have testimony And we have proclamation. Walk is testimony. Talk is proclamation. And it ought to be part of our lives. And they need to go hand in hand. Because if they don't, they'll destroy each other. Saying one thing and doing something else. Is at the best hypocrisy. And at the worst... It's dangerous because it destroys the testimony that we have in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Great commission, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Go, teach all nations, disciple all nations. If you read it in the Greek, it's as you are going, disciple nations. As you are going, teach them to observe what I've taught you. 
as you are going, live out the truth. Because all authority is given unto me, Jesus said, in heaven and earth. And I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm with you unto the end of the world. And folks, the only opportunity that you and I have to live out that truth is here on planet earth. Because when we get to glory, we'll be with the one who is the truth. Truth is to be used. It's to be shared. It's not to be wrapped up in a box and packed away. It's to be identified from our lives. And truth is what brings us together. Verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. What, what brings us together? We're different. I mean, after all, I'm a Buckeye by birth. That makes us different right off the top, right? We're all born in different places at different times with different influences. We all have different likes and dislikes. But the fellowship, the kononia, the common bond that we have with one another is based around truth. The truth of the gospel, the truth of the word, the truth of the spirit applying it to our lives, it's all based around truth. And our relationships are based around truth. As Dave read this morning, you heard him say, if we say we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. The truth is to bring us together, and even in our relationships, they must be based on truth. You've heard me say time and time again, when you get sideways in a relationship, it's always your turn to reestablish that relationship, to reaffirm that relationship, to reconcile that relationship. And may I remind you, the sooner the better, You see, distance relationships, kind of like garbage. The longer it sits around, the more it stinks. And the longer that relationship is, is fractured, the more it stinks. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4 that you and I are to put off the old man which is corrupt. Corrupt according to his deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of our mind. Change our thinking. After all, isn't that what we read in Romans chapter 12? Present our bodies, living sacrifices, holy, acceptable. Be not conformed, but be, be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Remember that? Renewing of our minds and put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and truth. Holiness. That's truth. And then he talks about how we are to confirm that truth in our relationships. 
He says, speaking the truth that we may grow up in him in all things. Your relationship with those around you, with your family, with your friends, with the body of Christ begins with truth. Speaking the truth in love. And then the scripture says, let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place the devil. Speaking in the truth in love and always keeping current. You see, when we let it go, it gives Satan a toehold because he messes with our minds. And then Paul says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying, building somebody up, that it may minister grace to the hearers. Now you've heard this acrostic before, right? T, tell the truth. A, always keep current. L, let no corrupt community. Love the person. Build people up. Don't tear people down. And then he says, let all anger and wrath and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind one to another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Keep your cool and be kind. Why? Because you ain't so hot either. Remember Jesus told a parable? He said, why do you try to get the toothpick out of your brother's eye when you got a big beam in your eye? And the next time you get crosswise with somebody, think about all the things that God has forgiven you in your life. And usually, I discover that the things that I'm crosswise about are the things that bother me the most because they're part of my life. Truth ought to bring us together because it gives us the umbrella of the wonder of God working in our lives. And truth gives us joy. Verse 4, look at it with me. Uh, let me just, just remind you. That which brings us together also brings us together in Jesus Christ and God the Father. It's the end of verse 3. In verse 4. And we are writing these things that our joy may be complete. Remember what John said his greatest joy was? See his children walking in the truth. You know what the greatest joy of a pastor is? See people walking in the truth. Living out the wonder of God in their lives. Recognizing that this is our assignment until Jesus comes to take us 